You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, October 29, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. We're going to continue, we're going to, we're working, this this isn't like Romans where we've we've went through and, and went through almost the entire book. We're kind of working towards Thanksgiving right now, because it's it's hard to believe that you realize this year's almost over already. I mean, we're like we're like two months away from Christmas. I mean, that's that's like, that's like crazy, just to think about it. So we're, I'm just going through the the letters to the Corinthians, and just just taking pieces out, just working towards Thanksgiving, as we talk about thankfulness at Thanksgiving. But if, if if you're not familiar with kind of the you know, the story with Corinth, Corinth was a kind of a bad city. I mean, it, it just was. I, I mean, the the city of Corinth, and I've said this, but it, it it's true. Uh, it was so evil, and, and and it was a pagan place where just so much stuff was going on. That the people at Corinth probably would have made the people in in Las Vegas kind of blush. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on there. And and, and Paul it, he ministered there. He started the church there. In, in fact, he when he went to go on his missionary missions, his missionary missions, the, the uh, he he found a young man, this guy named Timothy. We we read his letters to Timothy. He was a guy that we believe was probably about 19 years old. You know when he was over this, when he kind of took charge of this church in this this crazy place. But these letters were going back and forth. We know between Paul and, and the church, and Paul and Timothy, the the, the letter the, the letters to Timothy. You know, I mean he was he was instructing. The, the, this young man who was in charge of the church of Corinth on, on different things and how to handle it. And we know that there were at least four letters he wrote that, that went back and forth between Paul and the church. Well, how do we know that? Well, we have two of them. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But we also see, and, and, and kind of the, the way he opens up some of his paragraphs, he says, you know, in regards to or relating to, in fact, I think some of the pericope are even entitled or titled that. So apparently they were writing him and he was writing back. So, so, so when he was talking about it and relating to this or regarding that, so we know there was a letter sent to him, so that would have been three. And then there was one where he apologizes, essentially, and says, I kind of regret the harsh letter I sent you. You, you know, so he kind of... I think he he was kind of getting frustrated at the things that were going on, and he sent them. He apparently he sent them a kind of a scathing letter back, and he was apologizing. He said, "I regretted I regret sending the the scathing letter." We we don't know where those are. We don't even know if they still exist. They may be, you know, still need to be unearthed. But we know that these letters were going back and forth between Paul, who founded the church, and, and his and Timothy, the guy that was in charge of the church, and to the church in general. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, he kind of looks at, and I left my clicker down here. He's, he's talking to, 
He's talking to the, the Hebrew believers, and he's, and he's drawing out warnings uh, from the past, is from Israel's history. Okay, am I on? No, I was not. There we go. Okay, yours doesn't look like mine. That's what was throwing me. Yeah, mine's, mine's, there's a lot more on my slide than yours. I'm not sure what happened there. But in 1 Corinthians 1 through 10, he opens it up and says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea, and that they were all baptized in the Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. So first of all, you know, what, what, what's, he, what, what's he talking about here? My advance, does it show the rest of that? Uh, the whole bottom of the slide is missing. I'm not sure what, what happened there. I downloaded a, a different template. Don't ever do that. We, we just learned don't do that. But, he, but what, what he's saying is, mind you, he's, he's talking to a Hebrew audience. He's talking to the Hebrew believers. And he's saying that all of our brothers and sisters, our ancestors, those, our family from the past, you know, they, they all were under the cloud. They all went through the sea. They all, they, they all went through this journey together. They, they all went through these places together. They all drank. Oh, there we go. They all ate from the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So where Paul is going with this is these people, they, they, they all kind of walked the same road. They all did the same thing. They all went with Moses. They were under the cloud. They were under the pillar of fire. They walked through the seas. They did all these things together. But each one of them responded differently to God. Some of them he wasn't happy with. Now, why wasn't he happy with? He's going to explain why God wasn't happy with some of them. But we don't even really even have to go forward. We've seen it. We've read it. We've read it in the Bible. You know, I talk, I talk about the Sinai story a lot. You know why? Because it just, it just blows my mind. You, you know, that they had, that they had been being cared for and taken care of and freed by God from Egypt. And, and, and yet just why Moses is up on the mountain getting the law. The, the, they, they, it's just like all of a sudden, flip, we have all this freedom, we're going to do whatever we want. You know, we're not even going to honor God anymore. They made a golden calf. They did all these, all these wild things. They, they, just, they just went wild and crazy. Even after God had done all of these things for them. These, I, I, think that, I think the church is also sometimes guilty of this. I think sometimes the church, God has given us and blessed us and taken us through many, many things. If you look at where the church started with Christ and with Peter and the works of the disciples, the church has gone through many tribulations. The church has gone through many trials. It's gone through many hardships in history. And yet somehow it seems like we've arrived in different places. Some have honored God. Some have not so much honored God. So I, think some, I believe that, that when, we, when we act poorly and, and we are not honoring God, 
considering everything he's done for us, I, I don't think that makes him happy. It says here that he was displeased, and many of, their, many of them were scattered in the wilderness. You, you know, it, it's easy to understand that peace or that part of God when you really look at yourself. You know, the Bible tells us that we were made in the image and the likeness of, of God. So there are parts of God that when we look at ourselves, we can understand why he responds in certain ways. Have you ever, have you ever just got all excited because you wanted, to, you wanted to give a present to somebody and you were all excited and he's like, oh, I'm so excited. I want to give this to them. I'm happy. I've worked so hard on this thing. And then you give it to them and they're like, Mew. eh. What, how does that make you feel? Doesn't that kind of crush you? You know, our youngest daughter, the, when she was getting her first car, the, the, the um, Max had worked, put a lot of work in this car, and we were all excited. She, we were getting her first car, she was, but it was an old Dodge Omni. And for me, that was exciting because my first car was a Dodge Omni. And, and, and it's just, I love the Dodge Omni. But mind you, now it's, the Dodge Omni is like 20-some years later, older, and, when, and, and it was out in, the, out in the garage there at Max and Tommy's house. We were all excited. We were going to take her and give her a car and give her keys. And she goes out and she's like, Ooh. She was very disappointed. And I was sitting there thinking, how could you be disappointed? It's a car. It's a car. You know, sometimes I wonder if God's not that way with us sometimes. You know, he does really cool things for us. He does really wonderful things for us. And, and I can only imagine, you know, just like I as a father to Lexi, when, when, when I was all excited and I didn't get the response that I was expecting, even though he knew, you can't surprise God, I can imagine the disappointment is still there. You know, I, I can only imagine that, that okay, God, my father in heaven provides for me a, a car or a house, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? It's not, it's not a good color, God. It's not what I expected, God. You know, I wanted, I wanted the pink Cadillac. I didn't, want, I didn't want the blue one. I wanted to be a Mary Kay person. I don't know. But, but I can only imagine, I can only imagine that, you know, God, too, would get disappointed when he has done so much. And, and we just kind of throw these things up and disappoint him. In, in, in such a way where we're so unappreciative. When they were walking through the wilderness, mind you, this is not me pointing any finger at the Hebrew people. This is us learning lessons from their history. This is warnings from the past so that we don't make the same mistakes. While they were wandering through the wilderness, and they were, it wasn't even wandering, we say wandering, they were being led through the wilderness. They were being led by a cloud during the day and a pill of fire at night. God was leading them to where he wanted them to go. He was providing for them manna and quail and, and water from a rock. I mean, so it's like, how cool is that? You know, they, they should have starved to death. There was nothing out there, but God provided. But they, they started to grumble. It wasn't good enough. 
It wasn't, even though that the spiritual rock, this, they, they were receiving this water from Christ. They, they were receiving this water from God himself. But, but it's just, even Moses got angry because he, he told him to speak to the rock. And he's just like, after everything that God had done with Moses, just because Moses, he, he got mad because he didn't want to talk to a rock. I can imagine God's disappointment. I can imagine his disappointment. Mind you, that was the thing that kept him from actually entering into the promised land. God was disappointed. We don't want to disappoint God. So how does this apply to us? Let's continue to look at some of the things that they did. As much as the, as much as the PowerPoint will let you see. I can't believe that happened. Now, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting their hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. Actually, let's, let's go back. Now these things have occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Didn't we talk about this in Romans? You know, we, how, how we, God had us write this stuff down so we could you know, keep up with it and learn from it and, the, and, and that it just doesn't kind of go to waste. So, so these things have been written, written down so that we don't make the same mistakes. The Hebrew people in the wilderness, they were setting their hearts on evil things. They were, he doesn't want us to make those same mistakes. That's why this is written down. It's written down for us to learn from these things. He says, do not be adulterers, as some of them were. For it is written, as the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revelry. Don't be adulterers. What is, an, what is adultery? Idolatry with an I, not adultery with an A. What is idolatry? What is an idol? An idol is something that we like to put in God's place. God is saying, he's telling the Hebrew people in this letter to the, the Corinthians, and he's telling you now as a church, do not put things in God's place. There's only one person or one thing that needs to sit on the throne of your heart, and it's Jesus himself. Anything else that you set above Christ, it's a dangerous place. It's a disappointing place for God. Don't be adulterers. Don't put things in the place in your life that only where God deserves to be. You know, they literally made up idols, made out of gold and wood and all these different things. That was a, that was a huge thing in the era and in the culture. They like to worship stuff. But why would you want to worship a creation when you can worship the creator? I, I, it just dumbfounds me. And I can say that I don't understand it, but in a way I kind of do. We were talking about this in Sunday school. What are some other idols that we might have in our life? Is our idols maybe our stuff? Do we put our stuff ahead of God? Do we put our houses and our cars and our collections and our trinkets and all of these different things? Do we put those ahead of God in, in our lives? You know, I've had a family member who's gone on in the past, and I'm not knocking this, but I know he would spend great amounts of time going around looking for carnival or caramel glass. He loved caramel glass, and he had this wonderful collection. Now, what, what I could only imagine if, if I would invest as much time into pursuing Christ as what my family member did of caramel glass, I would probably be in a healthier place. We put things 
in God's place. We put our jobs sometimes in God's place. We, 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 we lean on our jobs sometimes to, to find fulfillment or to find accomplishments or to find that thing that's built in us to want to achieve or to climb or to be something better. And sometimes we like to try to use our jobs to, to do that, to, to try to make us better. Well, but that's putting something else in God's place. Only God is supposed to be making you better. Only God is meant to be in that place in your heart that you value and you cherish more than anything else. So, so when the Hebrew people were in the wilderness and they were making these idols, they ate, they sat down, they ate, and they drank, and they got up, and they indulged in revelry. What, what is revelry? They were partying, man. Um, I mean, they were partying. They were drinking and partying. You, uh, 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 revelry is usually, it's usually described as, as, as like a, a loud festival that involves great amounts of alcohol. I think that's the way the, the dictionary describes it. So they were, they, they were engaged in all these things and celebrating things other than the one true God. We as a church, I believe, are guilty of the same thing. We put things in God's place. And this PowerPoint just is not working for me. David, could you help me out there, bud? We should not commit sexual immorality. Well, what is sexual immorality? Sex is meant to be within the marriage relationship. Any kind of sex outside of with your spouse is sexual immorality. It was designed to be within the marriage. It should be in the marriage, not anywhere outside of the marriage. So they were engaging in, in, in immoral sexual acts. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. This is what Paul's telling us. It's recorded in what we call the Old Testament, 23,000 in a single day. Why? Because God's rules were so easy. But we're so quick to break them. <laughs> we really, really are. It went on and says, and we should not test Christ as some, did, some of them did. They were killed by snakes. 1 Corinthians 10, 8 through 9. That little picture on the that little picture I put on the front of the bulletin. If I'm putting the snake up on the up, up on the pole, and then, and then they were healed. But while they were pushing God, and they were pushing his buttons, and, and, and they were just testing him, putting him to the test, you know, the snakes came in, and they was taking them out left and right. And then, they, then he instructed Moses to put the, the bronze snake up on the, on the pole, and, and that they would be healed. Do we often ourselves as a church, do we push Christ? Do we test him? Do we try to put him to the test? Well, I would imagine we're certainly tempted with it. When, was Jesus not tempted with it? I didn't say he engaged in it. When he, did his, when he did his time in the wilderness, when he was fasting and praying, and then the, then the devil said, hey, man, throw yourself down there. Throw yourself down. Because the word says that, that he would send angels and you wouldn't strike your foot. Said, no, no, no. The word says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. But do we do that? Do we try to, do we try to put Jesus in, in, in a box or, or try to make him perform like a monkey, like a performing monkey? Jesus, this is what we want. Well, this is what we want, Jesus. And, and if he doesn't do it for us, we're disappointed. 
Or if we ask for a healing and it doesn't come, we start, well, wait a minute, can he even really do it? Do we ever put Jesus to the test? I think sometimes we do. You know, there's only one thing, actually, that God ever said it's okay to put him to the test on. What is that? Ironically enough, it was tithing. He actually says, put me to the test. Now open the floodgates. Everything else where we try to push Jesus into an action or to push him to try to do something to prove himself in our lives, it's, it's not good. And people were dying in the wilderness because they were doing just that. Can you click that for me there, David? This ain't working. And do not grumble, as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Do not grumble, as some of them did. I believe, especially the Western church, where we live, especially in America, I think we grumble about a lot of stuff. God has given us so much, and we grumble about so much. This goes back to my daughter in the car. We gave her the car. I was really happy. Sue was happy. Max was happy. This was actually Max's mom's car, and we were all happy. But Lexi was grumbly, and I know how that, that felt. I can't, I can't imagine when I look at what God has given me. He has placed me in a place in the world where I have everything I will ever need. He has placed me in a place in the world where I can come to church and worship him and not have to worry about somebody coming in here and hauling me off and holding me a hostage or killing me for the name of Christ. He has given me a family. He's given me a family that takes that we take care of one another. He's, he's given me a job that pays the bills. And, and yet, so often, in my, how quick am I to grumble that, you know what? God's given me a job, but I don't like my job. You, you, you know, or, or God's given me something, and I don't like that something. How inconsiderate is that of me? God has blessed us so much. Just this church, and now I do talk about us, Shando Valley Baptist Church. He's given us a building. He's given us a gym. He's given us these buildings over there. He's given us land. He's given us all these things. And for us to grumble about anything here, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of shame on us, me included. Shame on us. God has blessed us, church. He has blessed Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. He has blessed the American church. He has blessed us in such a way, but when we complain, I wonder how foolish we sound. I'm preaching to the choir here. I do this. I do this. It is so easy to grumble at God because there's still a leak in a part of the roof when we, he blessed us with a roof. Mind you, it's something we need to deal with. Don't get me wrong. 
But why grumble? Why should I grumble at God over something that's just not the way I think it should be? I'm not a big maroon fan. God, why couldn't you give me blue pews? Shame on me. It's just, God has given us to one another to serve him together, to love him together, to come together and to sing songs to him, for him, and, and, to, and to share the word with our neighbors out here. So when we're, when we're grumbling, we're not pleasing God. In fact, the Hebrew people, many of them in the wilderness were killed by a destroying angel for that very thing, for being ungrateful. Again, this is, this is me preaching to the choir. We all have dreams and expectations and preferences and things the way we want them. And when they aren't that way, we get grumbly. And we, it's almost like we're saying to God that, that, that you, you haven't given me enough. You haven't blessed me enough. I understand that. You know, the whole Lexi in the car thing, it, it was hurtful. She was a child. She didn't set out to hurt us. She didn't know any better. I'm sure she wanted a Corvette or something. I don't know. But it was hurtful. And I think sometimes when we grumble about the blessings that God has given us, that it hurts the heart of God. I don't want to be a church or a pastor or a believer that hurts the heart of God. I don't want to be that guy. Can you click it for me, David? I'm not even trying. <laughs> I'm going to grumble about my pointer. I'm telling you, it's me. I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Stupid pointer. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You know, we might even be grumbling but think that, that, that we have our stuff together and, and think, that, think that we are, our stuff is tight and that our stuff is strong and, our, and, and that our, our, all of our ducks are in a line. We might think of all that, but we need to be careful because when we, when we believe this, what, what is that? It's pride. So when all of a sudden, in our situations, we, we become proud. Pride always comes before a fall. I've seen that in my life. Every time I've gotten super proud, I've taken big falls. It just happens. It's, 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 almost, as, it's almost as dependable as and it probably is, as the fact that if you throw up you, you know, a, a piece of metal or a metal ball, it's going to fall to the ground. It's, it, it seems like every time the pride comes, and we think, we are sure we're standing firm, that we, are, we got our stuff together. That's usually when a fall comes, because we stop 
being diligent and watching for the attacks of the enemy. That's when we start feeling more comfortable with our grumblings and our moanings. That's when, that's when we start getting more comfortable with maybe even sin because, you know what, we got our stuff together. A little sin in the, in the dark or when nobody knows, that's okay. We feel like our stuff is good. We're standing strong, but be careful because that's when the fall comes. And you want to know what? That's normal. Why? Because no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to mankind. This is what Paul's telling us. And that's not original. That's in the Old Testament. What Solomon's saying, there's nothing new under the sun. So all of the things that we struggle with, people continue to struggle with. We still struggle with pride. We still struggle with forgiveness. We still struggle with, with, with grumblings and moanings. We still struggle with the gossip. We still struggle with the slander. We still struggle with all these things because it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. We're dealing with the same stuff and we still keep making the same mistakes. The whole reason that, that, that Paul was writing this down is so that we can be warmed from the history of Israel, from some of their mistakes. But you want to know what? We still keep making the same mistakes. So when we start looking at the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, how did they just not get it? God kept bringing them out and bringing them out and bringing them out and bringing them out, and they kept going back and going back and going back. We do the same thing. We as a church do the same thing especially in the West where we have it so easy. We are so spoiled. We talked about that in Sunday school. We are so spoiled by the, by the blessings God has given us. So when, we, when now all of a sudden God isn't meeting our expectations because he's been so, so generous in the past, we just expect that to keep growing exponentially. We don't understand that, that sometimes there's times that where we're going to be on the mountaintop. There's times that we're going to be in the valley. There's going to be times of feasting. There's going to be times of famine. So when those, the times of the lowness or the times of the famine comes, we grumble and we get angry at God and we forget we forget about the times that we were on the mountain. We forget about the times that, that, that he fed us and, and, and we were all fat and happy. We need to not make that mistake. We need to not make that mistake. It isn't new. We keep falling into the same trap over and over and over. You know what? The devil's job is really pretty simple. He doesn't throw anything new at us. He just keeps throwing the same old stuff at us, and we still keep doing the same stupid stuff. We still grumble about the same things. We, we sin the same ways. We do all the same stupid stuff. Oh, but we're going to say, oh, those, those Hebrew people in the Old Testament, how, I just don't get it. We do the same stuff. It just looks different. It's still pride. It's still arrogance. It's still unforgiveness. It's still spiritual issues. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is probably the most, this is probably the most misunderstood or mis, most misquoted scripture in the entire Bible. I've talked about this one a lot. How many times have you heard the preacher say, God will never give you more than what you can bear? It's not in the Bible. It ain't there. If he only gave you the stuff that you could bear, you wouldn't need a Savior. But he's not going to let you be tempted 
beyond what you can bear. In law enforcement, we call that entrapment. God's not going to let you be in a situation where you have to choose the wrong thing. But he always gives you an escape. It goes on to say, but when you're tempted, he also provides a way out that you can endure it. God doesn't make you sin. He always provides a way out. God does not entrap you in anything. He always provides a way out, but we are just so quick not to jump in the lifeboat. We are just so quick to be in the Titanic going down and say, no, what? I, I don't want to use one of those lifeboats, even though that's the way God gave me a way to escape. You know what? I, I, I like to swim. I'm going to go swimming. You know, I'm just going to go down with the ship. He always, God doesn't do that. God gives us a way out. So these sins, these warnings that Paul's given us, this warnings from, from the life of, of, of Israel, you realize you don't have to fall for the trap. When you're confronted with sexual immorality, he gives you a way out. Think about Potiphar's wife and Joseph. She had a hold of his, she, she had a hold of him. She was going, she was going to have her way with that. He was, I get, Joseph must have been a handsome man. He ran clean out of his clothes to get away. He, God provided a way out. You don't have to fall for, for the sexual immorality. You don't have to fall for the, for the, the idolatry. God will never put you in a situation where you have to accept anything less than him for the throne of your heart. He will never put you in a position where, hey, if I like candles a lot, I'm, I'm going to let this be my idol. I'm going to worship this thing. He won't do that. He always gives me an opportunity to worship him and not idols. He always gives me an opportunity not to engage in revelry. He always gives me an opportunity to escape sexual immorality. He always gives me an, ex an escape not to test Christ. He always gives me an escape not to grumble about the situation I'm in or be ungrateful for the things that he's given me. He always provides the escape. We don't have to fall for the lies. We can learn from Israel. We can learn from her. She's made some mistakes over the years. She's made lots of them. Well, you want to know what? The church, I think if we, if we wrote down the history of the church the same way we wrote down the history of Israel, and we tacked that behind the New Testament, it'd be even, our mistakes would be even more. It'd be even more plentiful. We've walked in the age of grace. We've walked in the age of, of, of post-resurrection where Christ has made it so easy, but we still make the mistakes. You know what? The Hebrew people didn't have it as easy as you and I have it. I mean, they had to sacrifice things. They had to wear certain things. They couldn't hang out with certain people. They couldn't do certain things. He's made it so much easier in the church age for us and for Hebrew believers, if you accept Christ, it's so much easier. 
But we still make the mistakes. The blood is on our hands, probably even more so. We live in an age where, where we, it is so easy, but we are so ungrateful. May we learn from, may we learn from the mistakes. May we heed the warnings from Israel's history. I don't want to make the same mistakes. We do make the same mistakes. I don't want to do it. Can you do it on your own, though? Can you beat these things on your own? No. Here's the thing, though. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you never have to do anything alone because you're never alone. That, 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 is, that is one of the richest blessings of the church age. God may have been everywhere, but the Hebrew people had to go to a place. They had to go to a person in a temple. They had to, go, they had to do very specific things. In the age of the church, after the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit now lives in believers. You don't have to go to a place. You don't have to go to a person. You get to enjoy a relationship with God that people would have probably would have done anything for before the, resur- before the, 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 the incarnation of Christ. I just pray. I'm going to pray here in a second. I'm going to pray that we become less proud. That we become less ungrateful. And that we, that, that we become passionate about pursuing the God who pursues us so faithfully. God chases after you every minute of every hour of every day. I can only imagine if we chased after him the way he chases after us. We'd probably need six or seven services on a Sunday because we would have something that people were hungry for. 